Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Sanctification. It's a big word, isn't it? We hear things like, you have been sanctified, or we pray that they would be sanctified, or for it is God's will, your sanctification. These sound like great things, don't they? But what are we even saying? I think there is a danger with the word sanctification. It's the kind of word that falls in the bucket of words like atonement, or justification, or righteousness. And we know that they are good things. We would love to be sanctified, of course. But what kind of good things are they? Well, that's where the word sanctification sometimes gets a bit blurry. I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Latin derivatives or Hebrew translation because, to be honest, I barely got a grip on the English language. But the word sanctification literally translates to make holy or to be made set apart for God's purpose. For God makes those who believe in Jesus Christ set apart for himself by the Holy Spirit. Often in the Old Testament, the word with sanctification would be used to talk about an object in the temple. The object would be sanctified for the Lord. They might have a table, for example, and that table would be sanctified for the Lord. It would be made a holy table. And what that means is that table is now strictly used for the purpose of serving God. It is now set apart from the other tables. It is different and serves a specific purpose to serve God. It isn't just used on God for God on a Sunday, but always. You couldn't just take the table and use it for a dinner party on a Friday night and then bring it back to church on a Sunday, at the temple on a Sunday. <clears throat> it had become a table now solely set aside for serving God. And so, in that same way, when we talk about a person being sanctified, we mean the same thing. In 1 Corinthians six eleven, it says, But you were washed... You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
When someone has been saved by the grace from Jesus, they are sanctified. They are set apart for the sole purpose of serving the Lord. They aren't just serving God on a Sunday and then back to serving themselves for the rest of the week. They have been made holy for God. The word then then can become a bit confusing in the Bible because it is used in two different ways. It will often say that those who are in Jesus are already sanctified, that they have already been made holy, they have already been made special and separate for God. But then it it will also, like our passage this morning, says that they are being made sanctified and the process of sanctification is still happening. It isn't yet finished. I think the best way I could describe this is becoming an adult. There on your 18th birthday, the law says you are now an adult. But we know from experience that doesn't necessarily mean you act like one yet. You turn 18 and, and the law, and by law you receive all the rights of an adult. You can vote and make decisions for yourself. Legally, you are treated as any other adult. But you aren't necessarily an adult yet. You don't even know how to work the washing machine. And even though you are already an adult, you are at the same time still learning how to become an adult. In the same way, as you become a Christian, you are told in the Bible that you are now sanctified. You don't need to do anything else. God has set you apart for himself. He has given you the Holy Spirit, and at that instant, we are immediately justified by grace. But at the same time, we know that there is still a process of sanctification. Because the day we became a Christian... We were definitely far from acting like God's holy and sacred people. We were still so far from being like Jesus. In the same way that we are declared an adult, we may still be very, we may still have a lot of growing up to do. This concept is described as positional sanctification and practical sanctification. You are now sanctified, positional. You are now being sanctified, practical. Well, This idea of sanctification is at the heart of the passage today. We have just finished the first half of Paul's letter. He has finished updating the Thessalonians on how, on news of how he is. He has reminded them of his time with them. He has told them how incredibly encouraged he was to hear from Timothy that they were doing well. Their faith and love from one another, for one another was making big news. And then we come to the second half of Paul's letter. His practical instruction and teaching for the Thessalonians. If you read with me from verse verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instruction we gave gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Paul's instruction to a church who are doing great who are loving each other well, who have been strong in their faith, is to continue to do so more and more. He knows that they've been doing well so far and he encourages them to keep on growing, to keep on being sanctified. Because like we learned earlier, they may have been made sanctified, positional, and now God and now Paul is encouraging them to continue to be made sanctified, practical. They're like newly 18-year-olds. They've learnt to cook a few meals. They've figured out how to use the iron. But there is always going to be more ways in which they can mature. More ways in which they can act more like adults and less like children. Another thing to recognise is that these aren't just Paul's special instructions on how to live a good life. 
These are instructions given by the authority of Jesus and Paul says to continue to follow them more and more. These are instructions to help them become more like Christ and to help them live in a way God intended for them. It is by following God and living more like Christ that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. We can also see that sanctification is Paul's biggest desire and prayer for the Thessalonians. We can see this in his prayer at the end of chapter 3. This prayer ties the first half and the second half of the letter together. And and by it, we get a great insight into his motivation for the second half of the letter. If you look with me at chapter 3, verse 11, just the last couple of verses of the chapter. Now may... Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He also then finishes the whole entire letter with a similar prayer at the end of chapter 5 where he says in verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. These two prayers from Paul really show us how important it is to him that the Thessalonians be sanctified. He knows the most important thing for their lives is that they may pursue sanctification just as God has made them sanctified. Paul has confidence that it will happen because he says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He knows that God can be trusted and he will work in them to make them more like Jesus. The passage finishes speaking more broadly about being sanctified and the following instructions and the following and following instruction, the instructions given to them, and begins speak, to speak more specifically about three areas of their lives. The first of these areas is sexual purity. If you read with me from verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul's first call to sanctification is in sexual purity. Paul is saying that you are now set apart from the words from the world to live in a way that God intends. God's intentions for sex were clearly very different to the non-Christian culture around the church in Thessalonica. A quote from a reputable source in, in a reputable citizen from Athens in the fourth century BC writes: "We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day bodily needs." but we keep wives to produce legitimate children and serve as trustworthy guardians of our home. You can see just how different the culture around them was to the instruction God had for sex. Sexual promiscuity and meeting the lustful desires of one's heart was just the way of living for the Greeks at that time. And for this reason, you can see just why this is first on Paul's agenda. Paul knows that this will be a very different and difficult way of living for the church in Thessalonica. But Paul also knows that they have been bought with the blood of Jesus 
and they have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and he is therefore reminding them to live in light of that. Don't live like the lustful pagans who are around you, but instead avoid sexual immorality of all kinds so that you will live in a way that is pleasing to God. This probably isn't so different to what Paul might say to us. We live in a world with a very different view of sex and intimacy, and God instructs us to live in a way that is different, a way that he has intended for us. He calls us to be sanctified. The second area Paul wants to talk about is their love for one another. If you read with me from verse 9. Now about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul knows that the mark of a sanctified life, a life that is set apart for God's purpose, is one that will be a life of love for one another. He has heard from Timothy that they are already doing this well, and news has spread all, out, all throughout Macedonia how much they love, love they show to one another. But at the same time, Paul knows that sanctification is never complete until Jesus returns. He wants them to love each other more and more. And the last area Paul wants to talk about is their work. If you read with me from the second half of verse 10. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul knows that this is going to be another area specifically for these new Christians where the way God has called them to live is going to be different to those around them. Again, we are not fully aware of the exact issue that Paul, may, that Paul is attempting to address. But I think that Paul just knows that those who work hard and keep busy, keep themselves busy, are much less likely to be causing trouble elsewhere. And they're able to support themselves and others who are in need. And I think we probably know this to be true ourselves. We say when someone is busy at work, it keeps them out of trouble. We know that work, though broken through the curse of sin, is a good thing made by God. And Paul wants both the Thessalonians and ourselves to work hard, to use our hands, whether that be physical or not, because it is good for us and a hard worker earns the respect of others. I think the best part about these instructions on how to live from Paul to the Thessalonians is that Paul himself backs them up with action. He says early on in the letter, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul only tells them to live in this way after he demonstrates it to them. We see back in chapter 2, verse 7 to 11, just as a nursing mother cares for her child, so we care for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship we worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we, were pre- while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul leads by example. Uh, Paul leads by example on how to pursue sanctification as someone who has been made sanctified by Christ. And he can see this happening in them, and the point he wants to make to them is to keep on keeping on. 
Like his prayer for them said, he desires for them and himself to be sanctified until the day of Christ's return. So then, how do we here in 2017 read this passage from Paul to the Thessalonians? I think the first thing is we should be encouraged and challenged like the Thessalonians to be sanctified as God has sanctified us through Jesus' blood on the cross. By living lives that are pleasing to God, we are not earning our salvation or repaying anything, but but when God, by the blood of Christ and through the Holy Spirit, sanctifies us and makes us holy, we should then respond by living a life that is transformed to be more and more like Christ. If you are unsure of what that means, reading through the Bible can teach us more and more about how God intends for us to live in his world. We should be careful not to become complacent with our lives. It can be really easy to start to think to ourselves, I'm a pretty godly, I live a pretty godly life, I'm pretty loving, I work hard, maybe I don't need to be made any more like Christ. But the truth is, we should be striving to be more and more like Christ, more and more until he returns. You will never be sanctified enough until then. And like last week, we should be challenged to be more like Paul in his deep love and care for other brothers and sisters. We should be truly desiring to see those around us sanctified and the spirit and soul and body kept blameless and holy before God when Jesus returns. 